Live from the Dr. Henry Armitage Memorial High School AV Room, welcome to episode 106 of the Horror Pod Class. My name is Tyler, and I run Signal Horizon, a magazine dedicated to exploring genre fiction in and out of the classroom. And I'm Lauren Gray, Monster Ambassador at Signal Horizon, and uh, just kind of a general writer and, and no good Nick, um, who usually... <laughs> Usually picks the movies we're watching, but I didn't this time, so we don't have to blame me for this one. This one's all fair. It's all me. Yeah, and you can totally send in all kinds of nasty emails uh, about <laughs> the exterminating angel because it's a uh, it's a very specific aesthetic for a, a very specific type of person. So. Tonight uh, on the Horror Pod Glass, we are going to spend some time talking about what we have been watching and reading. We're going to help you find some free genre content on the internet. And finally, we're going to spend the remainder of the episode discussing the spectacularly timely movie, The Exterminating Angel. As you might have noticed, this season you can check out all of our back episodes on uh, iTunes and the other traditional podcatchers that you can find us. But you can catch live episodes every two weeks on our YouTube channel and uh, right here on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you're following us. But the easiest way is to uh, get a hold of us on the Horror Podcast Study Group here on Facebook. So uh, if you are looking for ways to get involved, send me an email, uh, leave us a note, ask a question in the general Slack. But most importantly, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so more people can listen. So uh, what are you What are you up to, Orrin? What have you been reading or watching? Well, I'm uh, I'm still reading Clown in a Cornfield. I have not made as much progress as I should, but it's good so far. Um, it's really good. But I'm looking forward to reading once I finish that. Um, a couple things that I got from Underdog. I got Richard Gavin's new collection, Grotesqueries, which I am very excited about. And also that cover is amazing. Um, and then also uh, I got the first issue of Weird Horror from them, which is going to have a regular column by me in every issue. Uh, and then this first one, I talked about Christmas House Monster Books. Very cool. Very cool. So but there's uh, tons of cool fiction in there by like John Langan and other people. So I'm really excited to read that. And what's the what's the um, publication again? Who's the publishing house? Publishing house is Undertow um, Publications, uh, Michael Kelly's imprint. And then uh, Weird Horror is the magazine. It's going to be, I think, like twice a year is the plan. Um, so I love it. I think that's yeah. uh, I think that's super rad, man. So they can order that wherever they want. Uh, yeah, it's um, in order whatever they want. Definitely, you can just go to Undertow's website, and I know they've got. I think it's still pre-ordered technically at this point. Like I think my copy is an early copy, um, but uh, it should be out any day now. So love it. I think both of those look freaking rad, and oh God, like yeah. just a glance at the table and contents, it's like Jesus. You know, it's the like the go-to for I don't know anybody that is into weird fiction or something a little strange, a little offbeat. And yeah. go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, the, co the covers are fucking rad, man. Oh, my God. Yeah, the Great. covers are so good. Um, but, yeah, like, the 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 sort of, like, log line for Weird Horror that uh, that Michael came to me with when, when he was, you know, sort of putting it together was, like, was my whole jam. It was, like, horror that's more, like, fun and, like, pulpy and, like, really, you know, what you can see from the, you know, 
cover like aesthetic is very very yeah. Halloween, but also very like very pulpy and yeah it's i'm really excited yeah i think uh i think it looks good man uh you seen any movies other than uh you know this crazy thing that we're fixing to talk about uh well i i i tried to watch uh darren aronofsky's mother which i've never seen i tried to watch that today but uh, that didn't pan out as you can tell if you go to my twitter you can see why that did not pan out but um I, I can't uh, believe I can't believe you gave up the opportunity to see Mother's Day. What the fuck is I, wrong with I, you, Oren? I'll still see it. I'll still see it. I'm, I'm gonna watch it. I've got it. It's in my house. <laughs> it's but, it's uh, a different kind of nightmare. Right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a different thing. Um, but I actually ended up watching um, David Cronenberg's Shivers, which I had never seen before. Um, really? Yeah. I picked up uh, Vestron came out with a Blu-ray for the, the Vestron video line that they're doing. They did a Blu-ray of it and I picked that up. And um, so I watched that for the first time today, actually. And uh, because apparently rich people locked up in a place going all pieces is my thing right now. I, by I know, accident, yeah. yeah right. I didn't mean yeah. to be, but that's apparently what I'm doing these days. So uh, they didn't accidentally put a, you know, uh, a copy of that uh, Shiver movie that had, uh, Sharon Stone and one of the Baldwins in it. That was like a sliver, sliver, man. Sliver. sliver that was it. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, man. No, no, I did not get a copy of that. So. I just that remember be being. I remember uh, like being twelve and uh, like there were some interesting scenes in it. So, yeah, those are at least like thematically similar. Like sliver and sugar, like you know, there's there's definitely some some people in a big close up building some psychosexual stuff. I mean, yeah, you know. right. Yeah. It was, it was entertaining for a 12 year old. I mean, I actually, uh, I, I don't remember anything about it. Honestly. I, um, I just remember that. I don't remember the plot or any of that. So, yeah. I mean, I know it was like voyeurism stuff, but I don't remember. Yeah. Right. I think that was the, that was the hook. That was the, yeah. you know, there wasn't a whole lot more than just that. Well, it was like so. a cover or poster or something where it was like the big bank of like, cctv monitors or something right right yeah, yeah. which uh is probably not entirely dissimilar to you know a few of the high-rise scary movies that we brought up before you know like uh it's probably something there not not a lot but something i'm 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 trying to be generous with this movie that i remember fondly from my you know 12 year old you know pre-pubescent you know timeline so i, I don't remember enough to know whether uh being generous is appropriate or not so maybe it is maybe it's great yeah. It's not great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, first off, uh, today marks the opening day of Fantastic Fest. And I am incredibly bummed that I am not partying hard with a beer in hand um, at the Alamo Draft House in Austin, man. It was an absolutely great time. It was one of the first festivals that ever kind of approved us for a press badge. And uh, I am morning while also checking out some of their virtual online content specifically um i can't talk a whole lot about it because it's still under strict embargo but the first film i checked out for fantastic fest is uh jill garvagzian you know jill six uh mm -hmm. here from town um the full length version of her short the stylist and yeah. uh i'm not i'm not gonna say much because i can't but uh it's fucking great so yeah. i think everyone yeah, everyone should totally check it out. So uh, things I can talk about. Uh, I finally finished The Babysitter 2. And oh. yeah, um, 
it's 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 if you like the aesthetic of the first right it's very similar it's got a young really like energetic cast uh and both uh like i turned to nicole at some point and the male and female lead i'm like these guys are already actors and actresses you know like very clearly but like they're gonna be something they both have a look in and and a, a great kind of energy that uh you know like they they are compelling within themselves and then you have that that kind of like it's kind of kind of got a scott pilgrimy design to it you know the first one kind of too yeah right and it i mean it goes like it's like the the first one had this and it worked. So we're going to do nothing but this, which if, if you really <laughs> love that about the first film, then you're like, Oh, okay. I can sit to an hour and a half of that. But if it is not your thing, then uh, you might find it a little inane. Uh, I find myself a little inane. So I was like, yeah, fuck it. It was great. So. Um, I remember in the first one, like, I don't, I don't remember tons about the first one, but I, I did watch it, but I remember, uh, I want to say it's Robbie L. Um, is the actor but the guy who played the like really like preppy jog like quarterbacky you know really attractive guy who was one of the group yeah um, who who was like he was so just a young uh patrick bateman from american psycho like he totally had that vibe he was amazing in that yeah. movie i loved him so much like he was so so plastic and fake and yet so enthusiastic about his like being psychotic. It was amazing. He was, yeah. he, was he was a delight in it. I loved him. That that <laughs> kind of ensemble behind the the main characters is really fun. And they're they're all big and and so I was watching this movie, right? And Jack, my 13-year-old, kind of walked through the room. And the African American guy is like a fucking TikTok YouTube celebrity. I've never heard okay. of the guy. And he's like, Oh, that's Luke. Johnson, I don't know his name, I didn't, and I didn't write it down. But like, I think it is really leaning hard into that. Like, we're gonna do this cool millennial Gen Z thing, which, like, I, I think because I spend so much time with those people, anyways, that uh, mm -hmm. I, like I'm I'm susceptible to the same charm that they have. You know, like I'm like, oh, okay. So yeah, like I dug it. Um, and then for something a little more serious, uh. I am getting into uh, this book that uh, I got as part of the Horror Writers Association. It's called um, From Bayou to Abyss, Examining John Constantine, Hellblazer, by Rich Handley and Lou Tambone. And essentially, it's just an exploration of where John Constantine, the character, came from and like kind of the different evolutionary steps of him. And they even talk some about Swamp Thing and how that ties into the John Constantine character. And I don't know. Like well, that's, I, where, that's where John Constantine like, came from when he first appeared in Swamp Thing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah. like it, it is far reaching. And for somebody that wishes they were into con comics but aren't really, you know, it was a great kind of overview of what was going on and a great, uh, I, I don't know, like a real great cursory exploration of who John Constantine is. So if you're like me and love the movie and want to know more about the mythos, it's fucking great for that. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm always looking for nonfiction books that capture my attention and like can teach me something in a way that doesn't bore the shit out of me. If that makes any sense. I don't know. Uh, I also received um, a copy of The Pale Door, which I know it came out. I haven't seen it yet, 
but it's billed as a horror western, and they need to make more horror westerns. So, oh, wait, the the movie, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember seeing like ads for it or something. Yeah, and it's I think yeah. it's gotten really great reviews. So it's like, you know, if I can get through all my Fantastic Fest stuff this weekend, then. I'm going to check it out. But yeah, it's not too late, too, if you want to buy a pass for Fantastic Pass. Most of the stuff is streaming free through the Alamo Drafthouse like, pay-per-view thing. Um, like, I think all but maybe three movies are free. You just have to sign up for an account and then RSVP for it. And like, I, it's like free movies, man. And like free movies that you don't know when you're going to get another chance to see because some of them yeah. haven't been picked up for distribution. So Yeah, I know a lot of the Fantastic Fest stuff tends to get picked up but not yeah. always right away either like right a few years even so yeah like um the the antenna uh the antenna which i saw last year at fantastic fest is just now getting a wide release and mm-hmm. i was pretty lukewarm on it but like i don't know it, it, yeah. yeah i i, I well, saw it also, like, so. also like movies are all kind of fucked right now so mm-hmm. Who knows what the hell's going to happen with anything? Like, right? Yeah. Like the bottom line is, I think uh, you and I have both, as much as it pains us, like, have gotten used to watching movies on our laptop and our TVs. And I, I, I wish that I felt like it was safe to go out. And I, you know, I just live in this this hell that is this low level dread from teaching school. Yeah, <laughs> that I mean, you yeah, you probably should not like you 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 have enough exposure. <laughs> right. Cool, yeah. You you're already taking your life in your hands, my friend. Yeah. So um, you know, I I just sit here sad and lonely watching shit on my own, <laughs> you know, and I'm, wishing wishing I was uh, at the Screenland Armor where you know I could I could see some movies. I'm strongly hoping that I will be out. You know, I'll make it out for some of the stuff they're doing for Trucktober. Because I know, like, I know they're doing a good job of, like, keeping it as safe as possible and, like, spreading out the different stuff. So I'm hoping to make it out for some of that, but I'm probably not gonna, I haven't been to the theater since this whole mess started. And I'm not likely to again until Shocktober stuff hits, like, at yeah. the earliest, So, which is in, like, a week. I mean, to be fair, it's, it's almost in September. It's almost October already. Like, it, it has both been a really long time and a really short time. It's... Yeah. And it's been all messed up. Yeah, right. Well, we've we've lost all sense of time. We've been trapped in this right. room for so long. <laughs> yeah, every everything's just. Yeah, right. Well, if you are looking for another way to to pass the time while you are staying away from people, uh, we have our dark corners of the web. And that is an audio version via uh, pseudopod of Matt Cardin's. Like I would call it a novella. It's probably a little longer or a novelette. I don't know. It's a little little longer than a traditional short story. It's called Teeth, and it's a, just a hell of a fucking story to begin with. And and Matt Carden's a great writer. So, but uh, the double whammy is it is narrated by John Paget, who's got like a voice made for this story, made for all horror stories, but this one in particular. Yeah, John Paget's awesome. Uh, yeah reader and i haven't actually read this story so i'm looking forward to that sometime yeah it's got um like i again another thing that feels bioengineered just for me i'm a sucker for like the central conceits of the story to be like 
there's this professor and he's studying this thing so deep that he's figured out this way that kind of opens up a, you know, a, a bigger mystery or um, larger dread or, you know, something mm -hmm. like that. It, any way that academia is used as a vehicle in and out of the story, I think okay. is fucking rad. And, and teeth does exactly that. So, and it's free, man, it's free. So I, it is amazing. The amount of stuff that they produce uh, over and over and over again. That is like award-winning stuff that you can totally get. So I I encourage everyone to sign up for their stuff. And they can uh, they can check out some more and great stuff while they're there. You know? Some Why not? For a pitch on budget even. So. <laughs> even better. Even better. Okay, man. It's, uh, it's the moment we've all been waiting for. Jeeves has led us into uh, the house party, has set us at the table, and has now asked us for um, the essential question, which is the passcode for tonight's uh, festivities. Tonight's essential question is, is The Exterminating Angel the perfect movie for the dumpster fire that is 2020? deliciosa noche que nos ha ofrecido nuestra amiga Silvia con su estupenda creación de la novia virgen de la mermuda. Me van a perdonar si altero un poco el orden natural del menú. Vamos a comenzar con un guiso maltés que según costumbre en la isla se sirve como orden. Parece que abre el apetito. Hígado, miel, almendras y con una salsa muy especiada. La señora me tranquiliza con esa medida, porque hay asuntos graves que requieren la inmediata atención de la señora. ¿Ocurre algo? Suceden cosas muy extrañas. Atreve. 
And we're going to try something new for the first time here uh, that we started streaming. And that is, we are going to take a look right now at the tweet that inspired this pick. So bear with us as uh, I move over and show you what gave me the idea to begin with. But before I get there, though, you want to be able to hear the audio of it. So I'm... <laughs> I'm going to make sure I do that now. Here we go. And Chrome tab, share audio. And three, two, one, here we go. TikTok house called the Honey House. Sam is filming workouts for her you YouTube channel. Hear it? And her team is here shooting it. Nick works for a big time agency, and so he's always talking to brands and helping them with their marketing. B is the mindset meditation coach, so she's always leading guided meditations on her computer. Erin is an e-com wizard, and so she consults and advises a lot of better for you brands, so she's always sitting here on her computer crushing it. Jared's a fitness trainer, and he's also an actor. So if he's not reading his sides, he's working out, and he's probably eating. Nick is a mindset and motivation coach, and so he's always firing people up on the phone. Evan and Dina are models and fitness trainers, and if they're not doing a photo shoot, they're working out. And then there's me. Here's what goes on at our... Okay, so that was it. I just, I cannot, I cannot get enough of that dude just like doing the workout like, like lifting weights with one hand while he's like eating and reading a script or whatever like that he's too much that, that yeah it. it's so great so the tweet i saw like you know like quote tweeted that video right and it said awesome now do the extermination or the exterminating angel in this house right and i was like oh shit and i and i hadn't seen the movie i'd heard some about it and, you know, I was like, oh, okay. And then I went back and watched the movie. I'm like, fucking perfect. It was like the perfect tweet, right? So I, uh, yeah, yeah. I hate every fucking person in that. Do you, do you think that's real? First off, do you think that's real? I mean, like, no. What do you mean by real? Like, like, do you think somewhere in LA, there is a house full of fucking TikTok influencers that like do that shit? No. I mean, I think okay. they do it for the video. Like, I mean, they and they may well all do that shit, like, for a living or something. There's plenty of assholes who do stupid shit for a living. But, yeah, like, them all doing it while he's recording, no, that's totally, that's totally staged. Okay. I, uh, I, I maybe feel a little better then. Because <laughs> I, I kind of, it, it made me want to set myself on fire and walk into, 
I, I don't know. Uh, their, ha- their house. I don't. <laughs> the, the dude, the dude with the weight is way too perfect. Like that, that would happen in like an episode of Community or something. Like that's yeah, right. That's that's, that's, that's sitcom level on the nose. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I think it's sitcom level on the nose, and then you get like the American Gladiators at the end. You know, it's like. I don't fucking know. But I will tell you what I find maddening uh, generally is is the kind of influencer thing. You know, I think maybe it's generational, but I, I don't know. Uh, so, like, it isn't far-fetched for me to believe that there are, I don't know, a whole fucking house full of people doing that. So, anyways, we've killed those uh, that tweet and those people. So let's get into actually talking about um, the exterminating angel. Yep. One of those people's totally going to watch this and they're going to be really, their feelings are really going to be hurt. You could send an email to Oren at signal. No, uh, you could send a, an email to Tyler at signal horizon.com. You could yeah. send an email to Oren at signal horizon.com if you want to. Yeah. I don't think yeah. that's an actual email address. So go yeah. down. Yeah. Good, good luck with that shit. Yeah. Uh, okay, so here we go for your internet movie database summary of this particular movie, okay? You are going to be so proud of the people that wrote it. <laughs> In uh, approximately 10 words, the guests at an upper-class dinner party find themselves unable to leave. Now, a couple of things. This movie was directed by Louis uh, Boonwell. I believe I am pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, I think that's yeah, I've listened to a gazillion people say it over the last uh, couple weeks or so. But uh, Louis Bunuel is best known for uh, being uh, a surrealist movie maker. Uh, I think you can see elements of that in this movie. But, uh, I mean, it's got a great reputation, right? Like, it's it's oh, yeah. pretty, pretty universally, I think. I, I wouldn't say adored, but I think well-respected, at least in some of the yeah. critic circles. So, oh, yeah. I... I, I am really curious because we did a little bit of preliminary discussion over this topic, but uh, I, I don't think you're quite as high on it as I was. So tell me what your first reaction was to uh, this particular, this particular. Uh, I mean, fundamentally, it's going to, it's, it's a movie that's going to take some digesting for me to really know how I feel about it. Like I watched it yesterday and it'll be like a week or a month or something before I'm like, yeah, I know how I feel about that movie. Um, but I mean, like, it's good. I liked it. Um, it's it's smart and well made, and the theatricality of it is amazing. Like the amount of control he has over like there's like twenty people in that room all the time, right? Like yeah. the amount of control he has over that composition is really impressive. Um, and so like I mean, all that is great, and it's it's great. It is it's yeah, it's a great movie. It's fine. Um, but like. Part of it is that its reputation is so high, like, and and Boonwell's reputation in general is so high. Like, whenever, oh, I can't even remember, like, um, which which you know, it wasn't it wasn't the AFI, but something like the AFI did their you know thousand greatest films of all time or whatever, and he had the second most on the list of anybody. Wow, like that's okay. that's that's the level of reputation he has, and so like it's not going to live up to that level for me. And I think that if, if I seem less enthusiastic, it's just because of that it's, it's that it's, this movie is positioned as one of the greatest films of all time. And it's just 
a really good film instead. Yeah. And so like, it's, it's that if, and then that's not disappointment because I didn't expect it to be, but like, it's just, it's just, the reputation is so good. That yeah. I see lukewarm. It's because of that. Okay. So expectations were set really high and you yeah. were like, man, uh, they were almost impossible expectations to meet. I get that. I think that's fair. Um, and like, so for me, like this, he's a, he's a surrealist. Like he, he is emphatically a surrealist filmmaker and he's kind of away from it by the sixties a little bit, I think, but like there's a degree to which this movie is intentionally plotless and intentionally structureless that, works for it but it's not my jam so you know it's it's a thing where like i i like it but don't love it yeah well it in the thing is right uh i am not particularly well versed in boonwell's like uh movieography right filmography so like i i don't really have anything to compare it to in that context so i found myself really engaged because it reminded me of so many other things that I think it influenced on a subtle level. Right. Yeah. And uh, the first thing that struck me was a series of stuff that I read kind of in high school and early college, starting with uh, Chuck P's book called haunt. Do you know anything about that? Um, I know. I mean, I know about it. I trying to remember if I actually read that one. I don't, think so so um, the the central yeah. the central conceit of his book is um this group of writers end up uh stuck in this old movie theater because they've all like come to uh this, this movie theater in response to this ad that somebody ran that was like hey there's a writer's retreat it's free you can come write and yada yada and long story short like the maniacal guy that put all of it together was like you're going to live in this movie theater until you write me the scariest story that you know. Right. And slowly, but surely he or someone starts like tainting the food supply and tainting the water supply. So like essentially they fucking start to like go crazy and interspersed in all of the reality of them going crazy are these horror stories that they've written and they are fucking horrific. Right. Like, the, the apocryphal story is when he read this one chapter out loud, like three people in the audience fainted, right? And it was like, whatever. But it's that same conceit of like people being stuck somewhere and mm-hmm. having no way to get out, right? And, and right. being incredibly, incredibly dark in the process. So I don't... I don't know. I, I I think it's 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 got a lot of weight because of how much it has influenced a lot of the other pop culture shit that oh, we like. And uh, it, it's interesting that so you bring that up because the thing I liked most about it actually was the thing that no other movie has done, even though they're aping it. Like the number of times movies have aped this movie is countless, but that there's no explanation. None. That there's just no, there's not even like, there's not even really anyone hypothesizing an explanation. Like, the and, and it's not like the people just can't leave. Like they they want to, but then they get to the threshold and then they don't want to anymore. Like it's like a yeah. physical barrier or something. You don't ever see anyone going like putting their hands against it or whatever. No, they just like walk up there and then kind of stop and wander off and it's so it's so eerie yeah and never explained at all like and 
honestly, like, I think my favorite moment, maybe in the entire film, was early, like, the very first hint you get that anything is wrong is the the servants all leaving and not knowing yeah. why. Yeah. Like, the, like, they're all, like, they all really want to leave enough that they'll risk their job, but they don't really seem to know why either. They just um, do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's so good and it's so subtle at that point that it's the, the movie does not stay subtle, but man, right then it is. And it's uh but yeah, the the just the never explaining it is so makes it so much so powerful and so creepy. Ah, it um, is, it is incredibly like that moment, right? Because it 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 inverses, right? It it uh, turns the idea that servants do what they're told uh on its ear. But not really. It's almost like there is a larger servant that is, you know, which we'll kind of get to some of the symbolism later in the film. But like, I, I absolutely adore that because until then, you just think it's a meeting of rich motherfuckers, which is fine. You know, like whatever. Plenty of scary shit happens when rich motherfuckers get together. Right. Yeah. But at that moment, you're like, oh, OK, something something different is coming down the pipe, you know, yeah. and, and it happens gradually. You see the first one do it and he's kind of got an explanation. And then the next one kind of has an explanation and like, it just accrues this unease as all the servants like make excuses to leave. Yeah. And and none of them are particularly compelling. Right. right. Like, yeah. 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 It's, it just it's It's definitely builds up really subtly this like definite unease about what's going on which is amazing yeah like some shit's about to go down yeah, yeah. well and, and shit does go down right like that that happens at the very beginning of the film and slowly but surely we hit this realization that uh it is it, nobody can leave clearly but also as you mentioned before it's it's like the desire to leave like fades away the closer they get to actually leaving you know right. yeah like it's not that something physically prevents them. It's like, yeah. as they try to leave, they just don't want to anymore. Yeah, despite the fact that they're fucking miserable, though, right. right? Yeah. And and again, I think that's a very potent, like, approach, because it gets to, again, leave, leaving aside all the symbolism of the movie and everything, and just getting to, like, it's, it's phenomenological, like, thing. Um, it gets to questions about, like, how much control do we have over ourselves and that kind of stuff? Like, do we make our own decisions or does something else make them for us? You know, and, and the way they like, the way they just stop trying to leave yeah. whenever they try to leave is it really eerie and really sets that sense that we're not really in control. Yeah. Well, and so if, what you just said reminds me of a quote I wrote down from Louis Bunuel, who was really discussing not necessarily this film, but kind of his vision of surrealist um, cinema generally. And he argued the same glass seen by different human beings can be a thousand different things because each person pours a certain dose of subjective feeling into uh, what he is looking at. And it, like, what I adored about the prep for this episode, right? Sometimes I don't like love some of the prep, right? If it is not a, a film that I immediately connect with, and if there's not a ton of literature out there, then it could be like, 
well, holy shit, I'm going to end up reading a hundred different letterbox reviews of this film in, in hopes that there is some insight I can dig up, right? But there is so much literature oh on this movie. Yeah. And and it's all really high quality, which is awesome. And I, like it was apparent after you read a half a dozen of those that everybody's got it, their own take, right? Like yeah. there is there is something about this movie that can fit everybody's agenda so well that I think that's part of the reason why everybody likes the movie so much. It's like, oh, fuck, this is a movie made for me when in all reality, Louis Bunuel, uh, or Boonwell, you know, made a movie that was surrealist so it could fit everybody. And I, I think there is a, a ton of power in that, you know? I mean, like, so the, the one other movie of his that I've seen is his probably the film that's most famously associated with him, I think, which is uh, Unchin Andalou, the, An Andalusian Dog, the short film he made with Salvador Dali back in the 20s. Um, that, like, everyone has seen at least part of, I think, because the scene, there's a scene of a razor blade slitting an eyeball in it that gets shown up in things all the time. Because it's very, you know, it's very visceral and unsettling for now, even let alone 1920s. But, um, like, you know, he, he talked about when he made it, and the, the, they made a movie that was like intentionally impossible to analyze, essentially, right? Like, they made a movie that had no plot, it had no characters, really, it had no, it was just a series of images that they thought were striking, basically. Yeah. And, and, and then everybody loved it and analyzed the hell out of it. And he was like, damn it, I can't even insult these people. Yeah. There's this apocryphal story of him getting really angry after the premiere because everyone loved his movie and he wanted them to hate it. And and he was like, I can't I can't even insult you fucking people. You you <laughs> won't even be insulted like you're too stupid to insult. <laughs> I think that I think there is a little of that edge in in this film. Right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean I, I think like it's a movie that's intended to defy easy understanding, easy, easy summary. I don't know, like easy scholarship even. Um, yeah. Which makes, well, it, which makes it easy to look at a million different ways. Like you just said. So, uh, like I, I'll, I will be curious to know your overall kind of thesis or argument. Um, I'll give you a little bit of mine, right? Like I immediately, connect to the class issues right because it, it sure seems like i don't know fucking every issue i have now kind of comes down to that especially living here um and so i think the idea that there are a group of rich motherfuckers of which i would argue not all of them are treated unfairly right not, not all of them are bad in fact Val valkyrie i think is a a sympathetic hero, right? She's a sympathetic character at least. And yeah. so it, it treats them with the idea that they acknowledge that some of the shit that they're doing is bad, right? Like that. I think there's even some of the conversation at the actual dinner party where somebody makes an offhanded joke about poor people. And like somebody says something vaguely kind, you know, like, you know, we, we should help out poor people when we can or something, you know, like it's kind of like class is garbage that they're talking about, but it's not like they're like, where are the poor people of which I can eat them right now? You know, like there's I mean, none of that. Some, some, of, some of them are. You, you do have yeah. the woman who's like, you know, the woman who's like, poor people don't feel pain the same way rich people do. 
Yeah, so right. Okay, if they get hurt, it's fine. They don't feel it. That absolutely. But I think she's there mainly to pay foil to like the good rich people, right? The good rich people, right? So, but I love the idea that even rich people can't get out of these constructs that allow them to still be fucking shitheads, you know? Like, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll help poor people as as long as it, you know, means I can still live in my mansion or, you know, I can still throw my fucking fancy-ass dinner parties or whatever, right? So I, I think that spoke to me, that, you know, poor people can't even escape the constructs that they exist in, right? Uh, and, like, there's a lot of religious shit in this movie, right? Oh, yeah. So there's a lot of religious shit. And like, so I read up on Benwell before we did this. And like, I know he was a lapsed Catholic when he was young. He'd been very religious and he later like regarded religion as irrational and not in a good way. Like he was, he was anti-religion later on and got in a lot of trouble with the Catholic church over um, blasphemous content in his work. Um, at various times. And so like, I know, like I know there was elements of that, like of his distaste for religion as like the, the mystical thinking, I guess, in religion. Um, but also I feel like, and we'll talk, I, this is a thing that I talked with you a little bit about before the episode. Um, I definitely feel like there's a lot of cultural information that's contained in this movie that if I had the context for it, it would mean more to me than it does. Sure. Like, um, you know, there, there's uh, the, the easy example, like there's a woman who's into the Kabbalah. Um, there's, uh, there's a couple of guys who are Masons and like, I know what those things are and I understand them, but I bet the way they're presented in the movie, they felt like they had more cultural context than I knew. And so I think that had I had that, I would have gotten different information from that from those scenes. Like I, I bet there's an annotated version of this somewhere that would tell me what I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I think that's fair. Right. I, I think yeah. that there is some cultural baggage, both uh, from Mexico, but also from Spain. Right. Like uh, right. I, I think all of the, the religious iconography and uh, the discussion of governmental politics in relation to class speaks to me of like Franco yeah. uh, fascism and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and, right. and like, and, and Bunuel was like a communist, essentially. He later denied being one, but he was, he was definitely anti-Franco. And like he and, he and Dolly had a falling out about it. Um, Cause you know, Dolly was very pro Franco. Um, and, uh, you know, so, yeah, I definitely see that as well, especially in that last scene, like the very second, very last scene of the movie when, like, the soldiers are keeping the people away from the church. Yeah. People are trapped. Like, that looks very, almost looks like stock footage. Like, it's so specifically, seems like it's of a specific moment in some way. Like, I feel like that's definitely a, a statement about the Spanish Civil War or something. Yeah. Oh, something yeah. Something I'm not familiar with. I don't know what, but something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, there were there were two things in that scene, right? I mean, clearly, like, <laughs> you are 100% right. When we first talked about this off mic, you were like, dude, the fucking sheep running into the church at the end were uh, that's, that's maybe, yeah, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe a little on the nose, you know? Uh, 
It's like, yeah, yeah, that, that is probably true. But I love that you spend all this time with these rich motherfuckers, okay? And it would be so easy, I think, to make this film and then allow the protesters slash rioters slash whatever you want to call them at the end to be like the good guys, right? Like to almost have this uh, hero-esque quality about them. But I think he purposely shoots them to not be saviors, but to be menace, you know, to be uh, like something to legitimately be scared of. And in that way, like he doesn't, you know, like I don't think he's necessarily picking a side, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely like the even even earlier in the film when the people are outside just the normal house, like the gawkers and things and the way they sort of turn it into a, an almost a carnival outside the house. Mm-hmm. Like, they definitely don't seem like they're a whole lot better than they're like they're not, yeah. they're not presented as being like more upright or noble than the rich people are. Right? Yeah, but I, but I loved how that crowd grew. Right, it got uh-huh. bigger over time. And it did take on an almost festival-like atmosphere. Well, like a guy selling balloons at one point, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, that guy's an entrepreneur, right? right. I, mean, I was like, oh, shit. Here's a chance to make my balloon money for the week or whatever, right? <laughs> but but I do think that is is speaking to, you know, the kind of sensationalist. Uh, yeah, we see it much more now, but, like, it's pretty prescient when we have, like, these big standoffs or we have like um, sensationalist moments in the news, you know, like people watching the white Bronco or, you know, people stuck in wells or caves, you know, it becomes the spectacle. And I think there is a a discussion to be had about that for sure. I I love that he did that too, because I loved like, it would have been so easy to stay with the people in the room and not deal with the outside. And I love that like the people outside couldn't go in either. Like they, they were in the same boat. They, they had the same reaction when they went up to the gate and and this became like it became a, a, a thing like they had people stationed there all the time and people were going to watch all the time because it was it was almost like an attraction here's this house no one can go into or come out of yeah um, you know let's go see let's go see the house that everyone can't go into um, and that that feels more like how we would really react to something like this um, if it were to happen in real life, like one of the things that horror does not do often enough, in my opinion, is going to showcase that if we had a, a breach of reality like this, it would become celebrity in short order. Like we wouldn't, we wouldn't right. hear it all as much as we should. We would all go see it and get our picture taken with it. Yeah. Like that's, that's how society would react as soon as the intrusion became common knowledge. Yeah, I think I think you're 100% right, which is also part of the reason why the allusion to influencers right. was so powerful to me, right? Because the people in the house become this liminal figure between celebrity and real person, right? And so it's like, what's this thing that isn't quite like me, but it's not so far removed from me that it is celebrity, right? And I, I think that uh, that shared space is what makes uh, influencers so compelling as, as you know, the, these people that create content. But also maybe it's that shared space that 
leads to my visceral reaction, which is to disembowel all of them. You know, like I, I just there's something about it. Well, I think I think that what I took as the movie is like, and again, this is a movie that intentionally does not have a core message. It is a movie that has many possible core messages, like right. and that seems very intentional. But the the main thing I took away from it was because it would have been easy to, to see this as like a, a an indictment of the rich people. Um, sure. But I don't think that it's an indictment of them as people as much as it is a way to point out that all the things that they're proud of and all the things that make them different from other people, they only have because of their privilege and wealth. Oh, yeah. That's great. That's great. Um like as soon as they don't have servants anymore, as soon as they don't have all the space in their house anymore, all the luxuries they can afford anymore, they're no different than other people. They lose all the things that they think elevate them. Well, and, and I would argue the things that then differentiate them are things like fucking kindness, right? right. It's like Valkyrie being a decent human being. Right. And that within itself can be an incredibly powerful message, you know, be like, Hey man, when you don't have all this material shit to worry about or to lord over somebody, then the only thing that matters is how you fucking treat everybody else, which right. is yeah. really rad, especially right now in kind of the hellhole that, you know, this timeline is, you know, it's like, Oh, okay. I'm down for that. And, and I think you can definitely like apply that directly to influencers that like the only reason they can be influencers is because they're occupying a position of privilege. Okay. If they if they were just regular folks, they wouldn't be able to influence anymore. They would just be makers. They'd just be making stuff like everyone else is. The only thing that makes them influencers is that they have more than other people do. Right. And and and, and their capital is even like less tangible, right? Like right. Like they work in capital of clout, which is entirely fucking artificial, you know? So yeah. And most of them started with it. That's the thing. Like most of them, they have more now than when they started, but they didn't start. Yeah. They didn't start from zero. Right. They were just, they weren't, they were already someone who had some clout that allowed them to get more rather than a person who started from scratch. Like, very, very rarely is the influencer who came from nothing, as it were. Um, they're, they're people who already began from a point of privilege and got more privileged, which doesn't necessarily make them bad any more than no. it made these people bad. But it, it is a truth about most of them that I think was something this movie wanted to address, felt to me like anyway. Yeah, no, man, I think that is spot on. And uh I think a really good application of kind of what this movie is, is trying to get to. Um, I should mention that the idea that absurdist uh, movies kind of present this blank slate of which we can put our own kind of message on top of. Uh, I read it first in an article from senses of cinema and I'll drop the link in uh, the show notes. It's uh, by a guy named uh, Ma Reed Phillips. And uh, it's just a really great basic understanding of who Louis Bunuel, Bunuel is and that kind of existential, uh, absurdist, surrealist type of film. 
and uh, why it can be both nihilist, nihilistic, but also hopeful, if that is the thing, right? I don't, I don't know. The article is really fucking fantastic, though. So please, 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 please check it out. It's totally worth your time. So an, another thing, uh, another kind of pop cultural reference that this reminded me of. Um, are you at all familiar with, uh, I think is, I, I think I am pronouncing it correctly when I say uh, Jericho, right? He's a French painter from late 1800s. He's got a really famous painting called uh, The Raft of the Medusa. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So um, the Raft of the Medusa was a real thing. Survivors were on this raft um, and they ended up having to eat each other essentially to survive. Okay, so I immediately I don't think they ever actively eat each other in this film, but like the lamb that they slaughter and a few of the other things are, yeah, you know, I think pretty clear references to the fact that they are turning on each other very quickly. And, actually, oh, sorry. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Okay. I was just going to say, I was actually shocked that they didn't turn on each other more in this movie. Like, and maybe it's like, decades of zombie movies that prepared me for survivors to just instantly go to each other's throats. Yeah. But like the people in this movie, like they're assholes to one another. Absolutely. And one of them does sort of commit murder by throwing the other dude's medicine away. Although that guy doesn't die. He's just miserable. Um, but like none of them actually kill each other ever. They're going to at the end, like they've, they've pretty much set themselves on killing the host, but they ultimately don't like I was really shocked that they did not like there's several deaths, but they're all natural causes or self-inflicted or diseases people already had that kind of thing. Um, I was really surprised there was not a descent into actual violence by the end of the movie. Well, theoretically, and like, here's the great irony. There is a descent into violence, but it's all like fucking protesters and shit, right? Like, they are the the most violent, I think, actions that we see in this film. Maybe other than the disembodied hand, which is a fucking trip, man. Nuts. A did not see an Evil Dead reference uh, coming in this 1962 surrealist film. But you know, hey, whatever, I'll take it. Uh, very strange. And uh, yeah, like I, everybody was kind of nice, and, and right. they elevate a couple of characters because they're nicer than others. Like. I mean, Valkyrie blindfolds the sheep, right? And right. it's like, oh, yeah. that's very sweet. Um, but like, yeah, like they, and, and you can, you know, I, again, we can have a discussion then uh, that we don't have time for here, but like about what violence means and whether or not there's oh, like that's social, great. social violence and things like that going on among the people, which there absolutely is. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and I think given, you know, Boonwell's political leanings, that, that's a discussion that's absolutely appropriate. But I was like expecting, I was expecting like, you know, again, zombie movies to have like knives out, you know, actual violence um, before the movie's over. And I was surprised to not get it, honestly. Yeah. I, um, well, I, I don't think it was, I don't think it was a bad thing. It was a good surprise, but I was, yeah. it was not, it did not go where I was expecting it to. Yeah, it played against type for sure. Yeah. Even though there wasn't really a type yet, which is weird. Right, right. <laughs> Fucking surrealist. Yeah, I, I think the the other thing that immediately came to my mind, right, is all of these people were stuck in essentially this one room of this gigantic mansion. And 
there's no getting around the fact that it feels like a quarantine, right? right. Especially oh, yeah. with people outside, you know, not being able to get in and people inside not getting out. And so I went digging a bit and there is a really basic but interesting discussion um, had by a professor at BYU. Um, his name is Greg Stallings, where he explores the exterminating angel as an extension of a quarantine film. He wrote it like two or three months ago. So it's very timely. Fits really, really great with the narrative of, um, you know, coronavirus and, and COVID-19. So it's, it's worth it. If you want a little more examination of like, <laughs> the madness that quarantine can create you know like it's 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 pretty well fucked up so yeah I man like, and i felt like like both both from like just this perspective of like this is quality weird fiction but also from the perspective of like we're in the pandemic right now and it sucks um there was something really powerful about being trapped in a room when you can see the next room fine and there's nothing stopping you and there's nothing wrong there right like, it's not like you're trapped by zombies or something where you know what the danger is if you go outside right it's you can see what you want you can see freedom you can see things that are better you can see everything being fine but you can't get it and yeah. you don't know why and like that that feels both very timely right this minute and also that's just that's just some solid some solid weird storytelling right there yeah no you're 100 percent right and i think reflects how every single one of us felt like mid-april you know and we're like i can fucking see it it's there you know like and and like at one point right when we felt like the virus was um living on surfaces longer than it was airborne they shut down all of the playgrounds right Right. And we would we would take our family walks about the neighborhood. And my youngest, my four-year-old, would always be like, I'm going to go play on the, the playground or whatever. And we were like, no, you can't. You know, it's like, fuck. That's an ex yeah. a perfect explanation of yeah. that, that kind of fucked up feeling. So we, we are running a little bit long tonight. But I want to introduce a new feature uh, of the Horror Pod class. And that's four things that if you liked this movie, if you want to further explore some of the themes or at the very least um, four other movies that kind of share the same space. Uh, I'll offer two. Orin and uh, will offer his two. And that way, you know, if you don't want to leave this movie behind, you can go looking for some other stuff and we will do them quick this time since we're running out of time. But uh, clearly uh, I loved the invitation, loved, loved, loved the invitation when it came out. So I think it's also another dinner theater or dinner party type of movie. And uh, I think plays really well with this. And finally, there's too much like fascism, weird Neo Franco bullshit that's going on in this movie. So like Pan's Labyrinth, I think um, is a really good companion piece to this. So what do you got, Oren? Uh, I was going to do something less obvious and do a movie called don't blink, but instead I, I had to go with the more obvious and do uh Ben Wheatley's High Rise. Yeah, yeah. Which is just another, it's another, uh, you know, rich people stuck in a building going crazy <laughs> movie. Um, and and very class conscious, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, so I picked, I picked that. And then um, a movie from 1960 called Eyes Without a Face. It's a French film. Um, and it's, I picked it not because of like thematic relationships, because it's another like black and white from the 60s 
horror films really influenced by surrealist filmmaking. Okay, so cool. I think, there's, I think there's a lot of like stylistic parallels and things. And just like if you want another like surrealist horror film, it's more of a horror film also than this one is. This one is it's it's a horror film that's got a lot of stuff going on, but like this one's, you know, I thought face is a more traditional horror film. Um but it's another like surrealist influenced film. So it's really good also. Very good. Well, somebody that isn't going to recommend any other movies that are close to this one would be our one star anonymous Amazon uh, user who, um, to be fair and completely transparent, has morphed a bit into uh, our anonymous letterboxed users because <laughs> there's some really great shit on letterboxed. So, yeah, as I've said, people on letterboxed hate movies. Yeah, right. And this is a great example. Here is our anonymous letterbox user. I don't mean to flippantly disregard one of the most acclaimed movies of all time, but honestly, I just didn't get it. I could appreciate it what it was going for if I knew what it was going for. If they pushed the surrealism a bit further, it might have at least been somewhat entertaining. I will read more about the movie to try and understand it. I really wanted to enjoy but a lot, a lot of plot holes. Also, clearly, man in bear suit equals really bad effects. <laughs> Which, that was 100% a bear. Right. Oh, yeah. I think a, a legitimate bear. bear. That was yeah. a real bear. Like, it was a bear cub, I think. But that was an actual bear. That was yeah. Not, there was never a person in a bear. Like, that was... That was just an actual bear guy. Yeah, like they I'm, went to the I'm fucking... I'm sorry, Letterboxd user, that was a bear. Like, <laughs> they went to the Mexico City, you know, city right. fucking zoo, and they were like, can we borrow a bear? And they are like, well, we got this little bear thing here. You know, like, uh. But I also, when I read that line, I thought to myself, this has been the running theme kind of this season of our anonymous Amazon users. The reason why somebody hates it would be the reason why Warren Gray would love it, right? And weirdo in a bear suit is like... Would have been great, honestly, yeah. <laughs> right. and, and this is my favorite part, right? So you have the crawling hand bit, right? Which actually is bad effects, probably on purpose. Um, like, the, the hand is completely immobile and just being drugged around on a wire. Like, that's that's 100% true. It's just, a, it's just a fucking wax hand or whatever that they have a wire and they're pulling it. It doesn't even crawl... It's not a it's not a photo collage or anything. It's just a it's so you could say like oh crawling hand equal bad effects or whatever and that would be true at least as opposed to claiming the real bear was a bad special effect. It was just a bear. Yeah, it's not the bear's fucking fault, guy. Leave the poor yeah. bear alone. Yeah, like shitty bear probably has mange anyways. <laughs> like yeah, like he's like, a bear I, hater. Oh my god, like clearly a man in a bear suit. That was just a bear. Yeah. What do you think and a bear looks like? A big gigantic grizzly. That's that's what he wanted. He was very disappointed. Well, I, I don't think either one of us were disappointed in this film. Uh I think it's excellent. I can tell you it used to be on canopy, it's not there anymore. There are a number of different places that you can check it out. Some of them questionable but free. But uh I urge all of you to go check out this fantastic film and then hit us up either on the Facebook or pod class study group, send me an e email about it. You can reach out to either one of us. Where can they uh, reach out to you or find more of your stuff on the internet, Oren? 
I am Oren Gray at Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Letterboxd and at OrenGray.com. Very good. And do you have anything coming coming out? I think I've read somewhere that you got something coming um, out soon. So I've got um I've got a like cyberpunk novella of all things. But, um, <laughs> does it does it involve bears? It does not. It, it does involve occultism because this is me and monsters and shit. But um, but yeah, like uh, Broken Eye Books approached me to do this this cyberpunk novella that they're doing in, in serialized form on their Patreon. So it's currently you have to be uh, you have to you have to subscribe to their Patreon right now to see it. The first installment's up, next one's coming whenever I finish it up, and then uh, but once they're all done, they're going to put it in a book, and so that that's down the road somewhere. But for now, you can read the first installment on their Patreon, which you know is, is cheap, and you're supporting Broken Eye Books, which are good folks. So great, uh, and and I will be the first to tell you, I think a cyberpunk novella that is told in serial format via you know, like a, a Patreon seems so very rad, very, very cool way to consume media, but very much like 2020, you know, like, uh, this is it. This is how we consume uh, media now. So, yeah. It was, it, check, was weird it, to, like, it was weird to dig into writing a cyberpunk. I know we're over time already, but it was weird to dig into writing a cyberpunk thing because, like, now feels so cyberpunky. It doesn't look cyberpunky. Like, we didn't get any of the cool shit. We just got like the oppressive shit and yeah, yeah, and like omnipresent media and stuff, which is kind of cool, I guess. But like, yeah, it's but like yeah. the, the amount that 2020 feels like a cyberpunk thing already, just without really clustered tall ass buildings, um, is you know, yeah, like without Cherry 2000, you know, it's right, like fucking yeah. cyberpunk without that bullshit, yeah. man, yeah, like. And you know we're we're fucking like what? So okay, again, this is way off topic, but whatever. We're gonna talk about it. So we're in Kansas, right? The, the both of us. You're in Missouri, but we're we're in we're in we're in Kansas, Missouri, right? We're we're in the middle of the fucking country. The West Coast is so goddamned on fire that it gets dark earlier because of it here yeah oh my god that's so fucking eerie and so cyberpunky right it's like <laughs> yeah like uh my son was like daddy what's wrong with the sun i was like oh fuck <laughs> you know like oh all right well let yeah. me talk to you a little about global warming and yeah yeah no you yeah. you are correct but that's that's that is where we're at that's where we're at well, if you want to, uh, you know, navigate or talk about how shitty 2020 is or reach out, recommend a movie or correct something that I said or, you know, I don't know, just want to hang. You can reach me at Ty Unsel on Twitter. I run all of Signal Horizon social media stuff. So if you DM them, you will probably be DMing me. Or if you want to send me an email specifically, you can do that to Tyler at SignalHorizon.com. I'm always uh, interested in hearing from listeners. On a, a fundamentally personal note, um, I'm a teacher. We have a lot of writers that write for Signal Horizon that are teachers or were teachers. Uh, most of us have started school back up, and some of us are in person. And I live with this low level of dread every day. Um, I just want to I just want to say, hey, uh, we are thinking of you. We are you. And uh, we will all get th through this together, whether you're doing it virtually or in person. Um, 
sometime, somewhere, someone in leadership will wake up and realize, uh, A, we don't get paid enough, and B, uh, that this is some fucked up shit. So I love my job. I love to hang out with other teachers, but uh, be safe and, uh, you know, continue uh, continue to do what you're doing because I do honestly think uh, it makes a difference. So speaking of making a difference, <laughs> what are we going to talk about next uh, next time, Warren? Wait, wait, is that a segue? That's, <laughs> that's, that's all I got, man. That's that's all I got. Uh, so we we're going to talk about May, the, uh, yeah. the, Lucky, the Lucky McKee uh, debut movie, which I've never actually seen. Me either. It's going to be a first watch. Sweet. Yeah. And in spite of how famous it is and the fact that I think I've seen a bunch of the other stuff, I've never actually seen that one, so... Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm I'm super stoked to check it out. So I think it'll be a great way to kind of kick off our October Halloween coverage. So yes. it's it's fucking spooky season. Even if we're not trick or treating, it's goddamn spooky season. So we're gonna have to enjoy it. Doing our best. I've got my decorative boards up and all that shit. So yeah, yeah. I bought some really cool Target Halloween decorations. So oh, man, they always have the best Halloween decorations. They really do. They really yeah. do. It's it's the place to go. So hey, uh, until we meet again. No dinner parties, all right? They're they're never good. Uh, be safe, be healthy, and uh, class dismissed, everyone. Walking with the dead man.